welcome to the Sundown Outdoors Predator Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Slim. We are here to talk all things predator hunting. If you're a predator hunter or wanting to become one, you are in the right place. On this podcast, we will talk with fellow predator hunters all over the United States about the gear and tactics they use to put more fur in the truck. Hey guys, episode 3 is kicking off here this week with an absolute coyote machine in Daniel Wright. Daniel's an experienced predator hunter from right here in Wisconsin, and he brings us some of his thermal hunting strategies and several tips that he uses to put hundreds of coyotes in front of him and his clients each year. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Hey guys, here we are on the Predator Podcast. I am joined with Daniel Wright here tonight, and he is a coyote killing machine from right here in Wisconsin. Uh, He's a thermal hunter and he is hard on the dog population so i'm really excited to have him on here today i know that we got a lot of thermal hunters out there that it should be interesting to learn from him so hey daniel how you how you doing tonight pretty good man how about yourself i'm uh, doing great just uh like we just talked about we're just enjoying this great wisconsin weather oh yeah you know it's uh that time of year it can uh either have three foot of snow or pouring down rain like it is right now i guess later on tonight we'll see the three foot of snow (laughs) (laughs) absolutely all right guys so if you guys aren't familiar with daniel um like i said he's a a wisconsin boy like myself and he is a guide and he does a lot of coyote hunting all over the place and what actually kind of drew me to daniel was when i saw his pictures from his montana trip i think that was this fall Yep. Yeah. I usually make a couple trips out, but uh that was that was probably the the best, you know, few nights we'd had out there. How many dogs did you kill in that stretch? Uh so we figured we killed in five nights, we killed hundred and twelve. Um there's only eighty-eight that actually hit the truck. Um there's a lot of coyotes, cross coolies and stuff like that we didn't go get, but Right. I don't put them on the tally unless they're in the truck. Yep. Well, let's just say it was 88 that we had in that you had in the truck. I mean, that is insane. Oh, uh, that's that's a pile of fur in the truck in 5 days. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, that sure uh sure is fun when you can, you know, put that many in the truck, that's for sure. Right. All right, Daniel. So, what what got you into thermal hunting? How long you've been doing it? Um, kind of give us a little background on you, um, just so we can kind of get to know you. Well, yeah, I grew up in Virginia. Um, I'm from the mountains of Virginia and I had some buddies down there that, you know, a little older than me, they were, you know, into the predator hunting. I've hunted all my life, pretty much everything that walks, crawls or slivers. I've hunted it, (laughs) but couple of them were uh you know really into the predator deal and and uh you know we started hunting a little bit together and kind of got into it then you know back in high school and stuff and and then as the years went on i moved up here to wisconsin and and uh you know i've always predator hunted you know we didn't have a whole lot of coyotes down home and and when i moved up here the coyote population was a little better up here so you know, done a lot of day hunting and, and, uh, you know, like everybody else start out hunting moonlit nights and, and whatever the, the light deal here 
you know, kind of put a hindrance on that. We're down home, we could hunt with lights. And, and uh, I don't know, it's probably, it's probably been 10, 11 years ago now that, uh, you know, I hunted with my first thermal. And, and uh, once you start playing with that, it's kind of, you know, the point of no return. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. You, uh, you know, especially being a night hunter, um, I mean, I love day hunting, but on, on the east of the Mississippi River, um, you know, even 100 miles west of the Mississippi River to the east coast, um, the day hunting's really spotty. I mean, you got to have, you know, the right locations and, and uh, you're definitely not going to pull any big numbers. Um, so, so night hunting's kind of where you need to be if you're going to, you know, put a dent in the population or, or, uh, you know, really do any good at predator control. And, uh, so, you know, once I saw, saw the thermal for the first time, it, it didn't take me long. I started doing a little shopping around. The only problem was, was back in those days, you know, a 320 core was, ten thousand dollars right and then uh you know then they started slowly to get a little more popular but predator hunting really as a whole hadn't hadn't taken off it wasn't a whole lot of fellers doing it so yep. you know it, it wasn't like it is now that's for sure do you remember the first thermal that you ever had yep yep i had a gen one um ATN clip on is what my first one was. And, uh, it actually worked pretty good. I mean, I used it for quite a while and, and, uh, pretty much used it to scan with, and then I would shoot with a light and, uh, you know, putting it on a gun. I, I've always ran a gun on a tripod and, uh, I mean, I've done that forever. And, uh, the thing is, is, is it's not very efficient to scan with a gun on a tripod yep. and uh, you miss a lot. And a lot of coyotes come in now wind of you or sneak around on you and, and, you know, pop up right there in your face. And by the time you see them, they're gone. So, yep. so I, I took it off the gun and, and start scanning with it and, and shooting with a light. And I, I'd done that for, for quite some time. And then, then ended up buying another thermal, and I think the second one was a uh, Armasite Zeus Pro, and uh, then I bought an Apollo, and you know since then I've had pretty much everything on the market, um, you know up until till now, and I've had pretty much all of the the higher end you know thermals on the market. Uh, haven't fooled with the new. Um, 1280 IRA yet, but, um, pretty much everything else I've, I've played with or ran, you know, so, so had plenty. as your setups have evolved, what have you settled on now? Now I run a, a clip on, um, I've kind of come full circle back to a clip on, <laughs> um, you know, and, and the reason for that is, I like to long range shoot. So yep. as, uh, you know, 
I progressed throughout tournament hunting and everything else. You're always looking for that slight bit of edge, you know, to get on everybody else. And, and, uh, so I went to a clip on and, uh, you know, it gives you the ability to dial your day scope and, uh, you know, use a true hold instead of, you know, the old Kentucky windage and and elevation. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, and I, I don't know if I'll ever go back to a dedicated scope. Um, I mean, I have a couple and, and, uh, you know, use them from time to time, but I guess what you'd call my personal setup is, a uh, Andrus Industries TIG R6Z and, uh, that's what I'm using right now. Cool. Yeah. I've actually not heard from a lot of people that use a clip on and I've noticed that they're starting to catch on a little bit more. You start to see them more on the internet and, and on websites and whatnot. So that, that's interesting uh, to hear you say that. So, well, what, you know, what's there? Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. Continue. What I was going to say is, is you see all these trends, you know, and, and, uh, you know, thermal wasn't popular until really Facebook come about and you, you start to see yep. posts and some numbers show up and then, you know, that starts to gain in popularity. And then, you know, usually whoever's producing those numbers and, and is more popular in the social media platform, you know, you start to see that stuff become more popular, you know, it's the whole right. promotional deal. What's the rest of your setup like? Minus the clip on, what's what, what's what's everything else that you're taking with you on the stand? So right now I'm running a, a well the Tig R6Z clip on in front of a, a Vortex Razor HD three to eighteen sitting on top of a, a custom twenty two Creedmoor. Um, the one I I'm using right now I got. A couple different setups uh in the 22 creed more but the one i'm using right now is is basically a an rpr frame and then it's you know been all tricked out from trigger to stock to yep. forearm you know barrel different barrel and everything i run rrs tripods um you know i've had the the best luck with those i mean there's a lot of great tripods out there and and uh i've run pretty much ever top end tripod under the $2,000 mark, you know? Right. Yeah. You can get pretty pricey on those things too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you get into, you know, trying to shoot long range and, and, uh, everything else is stability's key and, yep. and you're just, you're just not going to get it on a, a cheaper tripod. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, different legs out there and and a lot of guys can get by with you know some some budget friendly tripods and and everything but if you're going to get you know really into it to where you're going to do it a lot you definitely want to spend some money on a good tripod yep uh what what bullets are you shooting out of your 22 creed i'm shooting 70 grain burger vlds um the only issue with those is they're they're really finicky on seat and depth. So, yep. um, you know, I I got a AR10 and 22 Creed more, and it shoots them out of it fine. But it's it's like I said, real finicky. It takes a little playing yep. with to get them. But um, I've been running 
those bullets and 22 Creedmoor set up for about two years now. And I've probably killed close to, I don't know, 800 to a thousand coyotes with it. And, and, uh, Just a few. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, as far as performance, I, I, I have very, very few coyotes that even move much less run off. Right. Well, what's your barrel life like on the 22 Creed? Is that something that you run into issue with? Well, I just ordered one to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been seeing about 2000, uh, 2200 rounds out of them, you know, but we're pushing them kind of, kind of hard. I'm shooting that right. 70 grain VLD at, at 3580. Um, yep. That's cooking. Yep. That's out of a, a 35 inch Brooks barrel. Um, so I started when we were out in Montana, I started getting a carbon ring and, uh, cleaned it, come home and shot about 60 rounds. Um, and then started getting a carbon ring again. I haven't threw the scope down it, but it's, it's going, it's got probably 1900 rounds down it or something, you know, I gotcha. Interesting. What, what's your zero to 300 is it pretty pretty flat pretty zero yeah yeah i run a i run a 200 yard zero and uh anything out to about 350 yards you pretty well just put it on gotcha what and is then, the farthest coyote you've ever shot at night i'd like to take a quick second to talk to you guys about dark night outdoors As you guys know, Dark Knight Outdoors is partnering with me this year for the podcast, and I couldn't be luckier to have them join me. Just a couple of the things that drew me to Dark Knight Outdoors, uh, they will match match pricing. They don't have any sales tax outside of Illinois, and quick and free shipping, no credit card fees, and you get a free external battery pack with a quality mount to come with your purchase. And not to mention, if you... Use code Predator Podcast twenty three at checkout on a thermal optic. You're going to save fifty dollars, so you're basically going to be able to price match uh, to the best price you are able to find, and then save fifty dollars uh, on top of that. Also, if you're in the market for his accessories, uh, he Jamie has so many different accessories down there. Dark Knight Outdoors you can also use the code PPACC. 23 so that's ppacc23 to save 25% off all accessories so go down to the show description and look at dark night outdoors website and you'll not be disappointed well the farthest i've ever recovered one 700 right at 700 yards wow that is uh, impressive yeah i've shot some farther than that and and you know, rolled them, spun them, and just, I never did get them. Um, Interesting. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be a precise rig that you're shooting. Um, you're, I assume you're standing up, you're on your tripod, um, all that. Gotcha. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this time of year when coon season's in, we, you know, do a little coon population control and, uh, that's necessary, you know, for, for some good, uh, you know, good marksmanship, uh, 
we shoot those out to eight, nine hundred yards, you know. Wow. But wow. What do you use a scanner then too? Do you have a you have a handheld scanner and then you leave your gun, your yep. clip on on your gun? Well, what's your scanner in hand? So I got I got a couple, but uh, the main one I run is the Pulsar Accolade LRF um, yep. XP fifty, which. They just discontinued that this year and, and went out or, you know, come out with the merger, which is essentially the same exact thing. Um, they just kind of changed the look of it a little bit. It looks a little more like a pair of binoculars um, right. versus a box, you know. Yep. A little better screen in the merger than the, than the Accolade Pros. But uh, as far as scanning goes, that's – out of all the scanners I ran, I like it the best. It's got the biggest screen. Uh, I mean, literally from going from a monocular to the, to the, the binoculars, um, it's like going from a 20 inch TV to an 80 inch flat screen, you know? Right. Your field of view is a lot bigger. Well, I wouldn't say the field of view is any bigger because it's still a, a 50 millimeter lens, Yep. but the screen is so much bigger that, you know, if you're scanning fast with a monocular and looking at that small screen, if a coyote's way out there, um, you know, he's pretty small, so it's pretty easy to skip over him. Yep. And uh, with that bigger screen, it, it makes them pop a little more. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. But I, I run Reaps. Um, you know, for years I run Hour Patrol, um, which an Hour Patrol and a Reap or Trigicons. Yep. Now, um, back in the day, they were our defense, you know. Yep. But. Cool. I'm trying to, the Knox from Envision. The Knox is super good image. Um, pretty much all of the Pulsar scanners I've ran. Yep. Yeah, that's it's definitely a, an evolving game, and there's definitely – in my eyes, there's more people getting into thermal hunting and thermal coyote hunting now than there, than there has been, you know, the last three years, it's really picked up some traction. Oh yeah. 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 As, as far as hunting goes, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear it's you. definitely, you know, there's, there's way more people doing it now and, and thermals become, you know, way more affordable. Um, yep. You know, now you can get into, you know, units fairly reasonable. I mean, I get guys call me all the time wanting, you know, advice on what thermals to get and this, that, and the other. But, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of thermals out there for, you know, that thousand, uh, $2,000 range. But yep. in, in my opinion, those are those were built and designed for hog hunting, not coyote hunting. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've used some of those thousand to $2,000 thermals, you know, and the, the biggest difference that I noticed looking side by side, you know, with the, with the Pulsar or something else that's a little more high end is that, you know, you just can't identify stuff, you know, past, I would say, you know, 200 yards. So, I mean, it's a big difference in, in your range and you're, you're kind of limiting yourself, but at the end of the day, some people that's your budget and that's you know, that's what you got to go with and you're going to get them inside 200 yards if you're going to kill them, you know? Yep. Yep. For sure. I mean, you know, I, I tell guys when they ask me, you know, if, if one of those units will, 
you know, it doesn't really matter the brand, you know, they're all pretty close to the same. It, uh, the biggest thing is ID and, and depending on where you're hunting, you know, and, and pretty much anywhere on the East coast, you're going to be hunting around, you know, a people population. Yep. And, you know, distinguishing between a coyote and a, you know, a dog is, is probably the biggest issue, um, you know, with, with a cheaper thermal. And I say, I tell them you can, you can get that cheaper thermal, but you have to be really careful with what you shoot. I mean, you don't want to be trying to shoot something at 300 yards and have no clue what it is other than an educated guess, you know? Right. No, that's, that's a hundred percent accurate. That's honestly one of my biggest fears of night hunting. You know, that's something I'm very, very careful of. And I had, in fact, one year I was, I was calling a spot and I had the, you know, the wind blowing towards the, the driveway, the, the road, so call it and have a, have a, what I think is a, obviously it's a dog. It's a dog or a coyote comes, comes running from the house right down the road you know, but it's swinging the wind just like a coyote would. Yep. I'm like, well, I'm just going to let this thing come. And if it's a dog, it's going to come right up to me. And if it's a coyote, I'm never going to see it again. Well, I never saw it again, (laughs) but that wasn't a chance I was willing to take. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've hunted all over the country and literally from coast to coast, North, South, East, West. And, and I've called in, you know, over the years, probably only a dozen actual dogs, you know, and, and only a few in places that I really didn't expect them, you know, and, uh, but, but still uh, it's uh, even those, you know, as they come in, I I started to suspect, you know, but I've seen a lot of coyotes through thermal and, uh, I can kind of tell how it's, you know, coming in and, and, uh, kind of had a suspicion they were dogs. And then, you know, finally a, a little trick that I usually do is if I suspect I, I, I start playing with some vocals and, and 95% of the time, uh, a regular dog will start to bark. Yeah. That's a, that's actually a great tip. I'm not, I've never thought of that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, Everyone that I've ever called in, I, I'd start playing some, some vocals and some more, some more aggressive vocals and, uh, and every one of them has started to bark, but awesome. You know, yeah, that's a great, that's a great tip. I hope that helps everybody out. So yeah, if you're unsure, uh, play some aggressive coyote vocals and, uh, make sure your target. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the best, the best advice is, is just let them come and, yep. and get them, you know, whatever, if you're running a, a 384 core or some of those cheaper ones, you're down into the, you know, 160, 190 cores. And, and, uh, I mean, stuff needs to be 50 yards, 60 yep. yards, yep. you know, to, to be for sure. And then, you know, <laughs> You can't always go off of collars either because we got a lot of coyotes around here that have collars on them. So really, I've actually never seen one around the areas I hunt that had a collar. <laughs> yeah, we got, uh, well, the, the DNR has a program. Um, they started 
you know, I don't, I, I'd be lying if I told you exactly how many years ago, but it's been quite a while ago that they, every year they trap about 30 coyotes and collar them. And then they do the same with bobcats and the deer. And, yep. uh, and the, the study's supposed to be, uh, you know, depredation on yep. deer, you know, so, so they track them, but, uh, and I've killed several, so they're pretty good about, they come get their collar and, and give you all the information, you know, when they collared it and how far it went. And, and it would surprise you, you know, everybody, everybody thinks coyotes travel a long ways and they really don't. Um, yeah. Coyotes pretty well stick pretty tight to wherever their, you know, home range is now coming up here about end of February, 1st of March, um, those breeding pairs that are already bred, they'll pack up and move. And generally it's a couple miles from yep. wherever their home range is. They'll pack up and move and, and that's where they'll have their pups and stay for usually till the corn's up knee high, you know, about mid July. Yep. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I've, I've never seen a collared one around here and I'm not, that overly far from you so interesting no, you'd have to go from where you're at uh most of the the ones that they have caught has has been west of you probably you know 20 30 miles i don't know how far you. your hunting range goes but yeah so you kind of touched on something here that i wanted to ask you about um if you had to give someone advice you know Obviously budget is part of it, but if you had to give point someone in the right direction, let's just call it a middle of the road thermal. Um, if you had to point someone in the right direction, um, what, what's your advice to a guy that's looking to buy a thermal and doesn't know where to start? Well, I would be looking at something at least 336 core or higher. Um, you know, if you're in the 336 core, so you got 336, 384 core. There's not a whole lot of difference um, yep. that you're going to see between those two. Um, you got 12 UM, 17 UM, and and basically that's you know sensitivity levels. Um, 12 UM is more sensitive than 17. Both of them will get the job done. Um, if you're in the 336, 384 core. I would be looking at something in a three X base mag. Yep. And, and what, one thing you have to remember is nothing matters past base mag. So I get that question a lot. They're like, Oh, well, this is a, you know, a three by 14 or whatever, you know? And, uh, each time you zoom past base mag, you cut your, pixels in half yep so your image is going to get worse and worse and worse so you want you know something at least 384 336 core and two and a half to three x base mag to to make a good id and be able to shoot out to you know so you got a coyote that runs out there you shot one at 70 yards and one runs out there at 200 
the 250 that 384 core is still going to have enough resolution to where you can you can still make that shot if you're capable you know yep and obviously if you have the money um i recommend 640 core to everyone um yep. you're gonna you're gonna eventually be there um it's just whether you want to bite the bullet early on or or wait and and uh work your way up that's that's a good tip so kind of moving on from the gear um daniel does a lot of guiding and tell us how that started and what your guiding operation looks like now well it it pretty much got to where i just had there's so many people wanting to come check out thermal and and you know there's so many people want to come and hunt and and this, that, and the other. And and finally it just got to where I couldn't, couldn't get to everybody. And, yep. and really it becomes something to kind of weed out, um, you know, the tire kickers versus guys that really wanted to learn something or, or wanted to be serious about predator hunting. Yep. So, I mean, anytime you, you know, involve a little bit of money, if, if they really want to do it, it's not going to be a big issue. Yep. And, uh, you know, if they don't, they're just going to blow it off and, and move on to the next guy for asking questions, you know, yep. <laughs> so that's kind of where it started. And, uh, I, I don't really advertise it just, you know, kind of word of mouth and, and, uh, you know, I got a ton of guys message me all the time off of Facebook and Instagram and whatnot. And, and, uh, and that's pretty well where the, you know, the guidance stuff comes from is, is those guys that want to come learn a little something, you know, and it, I, at the end of the day, I don't make hardly anything off of it. It's just something to pay for a little fuel and few bullets. And, uh, you know, they get to enjoy a, a night of hunting and, and I get a lot of guys that have no interest in spending, you know, $30,000 for a rig and, uh, they just want to come have fun for a nine or two, one or two nights out of the year. And, uh, they get their predator fix in and, and, uh, they're good to go, you know? Absolutely. So what does that look like? Are you taking people on? Let's I'm just throwing out some scenarios here. You can, then you can tell me how you go about it. Um, and maybe, maybe it varies, but do you, are you going, um, with someone, on their farms, people coming with you, are you taking people for, you know, a six hour trip, an eight hour trip? I mean, how does that work? So I got three types of hunts. I got a half night hunt that's during a weekday. I got a full night hunt that's during a weekend. And then I got educational hunts. So half night hunt, we hunt from dark to one o'clock on a weeknight. And, uh, full night hunts is from usually dark till daylight on a weekend, unless there's a, a deer season in or a turkey season. And then it's, you know, one hour after dark to one hour before daylight. That way, if any guys are coming in the woods, we don't bother nothing. Yep. And then the educational hunts are basically, I, I start them out on the phone and get them push started into going out, picking up 20 properties that are more than 
three miles apart. And then we start laying out, you know, stands from Onyx map and, and kind of walk them through the whole process. And then, then finally, once they get their properties and, and we get, you know, a night set up, then we'll, uh, I usually go to them and then, you know, spend the night showing them how to set up, where to set the call at and kind of what sounds to play and, and, you know, go through the whole scenario. So it's, it's a little slower pace, but, uh, you know, they definitely get to learn more. If, if you just come for a guided hunt, we pound out stands and we're all about, you know, killing coyotes. Absolutely. So when you say pound out stands, how long is your average stand when you're pounding them out? Um, tournament hunting eight to 10 minutes. Um, pleasure hunting usually around 15 to maybe 20 minutes at the longest. I don't spend much more than 20 minutes on stand. Yep. If, if I got a coyote that's working in slow or something and you know, I can see it or if I have a group answer me, you know, sometimes I'll pick up and move. Usually if they answer me, I know whether they're going to come or they're not. Um, you know, if, if one howls at me and it's aggressive, I, I know whether it's gonna, you know, either commit or it's not. Yep. If they're, I mean, generally in this area, if they're more than, you know, six to 800 yards away, they ain't going to come. Yep. Uh, I mean, you'll have some exceptions to that. And, uh, it, most guys like to, you know, spend 45 minutes to an hour on stand and, and I'll be the first one to tell you that spending 20 minutes on stand, you're going to miss some coyotes. There's going to yep. be some coyotes come in after you leave. But if you stay there for 45 minutes to an hour and you play every sound or play the same sound over and over, however you're doing it, you're, burning more ears than you're going to call in. Yep. That makes and total sense to me. So, you know, I'm usually in and out and, and gone. And, and if you think about it, whether you killed 20 coyotes or a hundred coyotes a year or 500, however many you, you kill, if you would sit down and write down, or, you know, the, the, I mean, I run a Fox pro, so it's got a little, you know, counter on it is as yep. to how long you've been on stand. So if you sat and wrote down that time on every cow you killed, I would put money on the table that 95% of them are five minutes and under. That's very, inter that's very interesting to me. Um, okay. So let's, let's kind of walk through a stand a little bit. Let's see. Okay. You're walking in. Um, what's, you know, how, how do you prefer the wind? Where's your call? And, and how are you going to kick off that stand? Well, I'm a little backwards for most people. You know, everybody for years has always preached, you know, you want the wind in your face. And, and really, I'm just going to go hunting. Um, you know, if I get to a stand and I get out of the truck and, and the wind's hitting me in the face, I usually swing around to the other side of the field if I can to where I got a crosswind and, and I yep. like, 
if I'm hunting by myself, I like either the wind of my back or a, a crosswind angling towards the coyotes as yep. to where I think they're going to be, you know, but it's not such a big deal for me to get them, you know, inside of 75 yards, you know, yep. now guided hunts is a little different, you know, their shot percentage goes down considerably, especially if they haven't played with thermal a lot. Yep. So, so those codes, you know, I got to set up a little different and play a little more wind. And, and usually I set up on a crosswind on, yep. on pretty much all of those. I'm with you on that. I, my experience with wind in the face is they s- tend to circle a lot more. Yeah. And there's some stands you just can't get by with. And I mean, it's just how yep. you got to approach it. So, you know, if that's the only way you can approach it is with the wind in your face, your best bets to run your call as far as your, you know, remote, remote range will let you and run it out there as far as you can and then offset it. So if you think that coyotes are going to come out of the left side of the field, offset it to the right side yep. and, you know, put it a hundred yards out or, or, you know, 60, whatever you can get it out there. And, uh, you know, when the coyotes come out the left side of the field, they're going to swing wide and come around. And whenever they cut it, you're trying to get them to cut between you and the call. Yep. So, I mean, that's, and, and that's, you know, how calling with the wind in your face is, is supposed to work. But the problem is, is in this country is the fields are smaller so when the wind's in your face, generally they don't come out in the open to cut you. They, they yep. run around inside the woods and then come around the hedgerow or, you know, on the inside of the woods behind you and then yep. poke your head out, wind you, and then off they go. Yep. I agree. Yeah. I don't know if it's just the hunting pressure, but I mean, there, there's more hunting pressure around here than there's, than I think there's ever been. And I, I always tell people when we're going, you know, we're going to a stand, whatever it may be, if there's a way they can get around you, they're gonna, you know, just, I always just assume they're going to get around me if they can. So that's just something that I always hold to a high, high level of priority is just making sure they can't get downwind to me. And that's helped me kill more than I think anything has. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, if you're hunting, you know, uneducated coyotes or, or whatever, um, you know, that's the exception. They just come running into the call. Doesn't yep. They don't pay any attention to the wind, but they also don't pay any attention when they wind you. You know, Absolutely. I mean, they might freeze up for a minute and then kind of booger off and then they stop and, they, you know, they give you plenty of opportunity because they don't have a clue what you are, you know. Yep. But now that we're in, you know, after deer season here, pretty much every coyote, no matter the age, has had some sort of encounter with a person. So, yep, I agree. So they're not quite so shy about running. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, when when these guys come with you on on trips, are you setting them up with your gear, your guns? Um, how, how does that work? Yep. Yeah, I set them up all my gear. Um, so I got you know, multiple tripods, multiple guns. Um, I don't set them up with a scanner. It's just uh, transitioning, but from a scanner to a gun takes a little practice. And uh, if they've not done it, it's, 
it's hard to do because you know most people's compass gets off pretty bad you know their first couple times with thermal so i'd rather them be kind of scanning around with a gun and usually i only take two at a time unless it's an educational hunt and then you know if if they want to have more guys that's up to them you know yep but just for safety reasons and and i mean just to have an enjoyable hunt if you got you know four guys you're not going to have as many opportunities to shoot as if you got two guys. So, yep. so I get them set up and, uh, I mean, if they have their own gear, I mean, and I do, it, it's now it's, it's becoming more of a thing to where they have their own gear than it used to be. But, uh, then I just, you know, I, I discounted a little bit, but I mean, it's still, uh, I got to put in the work for the ground and, yep. and, run you around call the coyotes in so whether you got your gear or not it's about the same price so yeah for sure i heard this question the other day and it, it was really interesting to me um what's that one caliber that you hear someone say they're going to use and it makes you cringe uh you know it uh or there can be a couple i suppose really it doesn't really matter to me as far as, as caliber goes, as much as it is, how much they shoot. Um, yep. you know, the two twenty three is probably the most popular varmint predator caliber out there. And, and I don't really know why, because it's not the greatest caliber out there for coyotes. Um, yep. but in the right hands, it, it's a great gun and, and you'll kill everything you shoot at. But when it comes to at 22,250 is probably the, the other one. When I hear somebody say they run 22,250 and it's the best coyote round out there, it's a great round. But in my opinion, it's just too light of a, a bullet or projectile. And if you plant one right on the ball of the shoulder, you don't always get him and uh you can do that with any caliber but that's uh, you know a little heavier bullet and uh and you, you don't have that issue but where it really gets amplified is at night with thermal yeah because during the daytime you're looking through a day scope you see every hair on that animal's body yep. and you pick out a specific spot behind the shoulder and you shoot him with whatever and and he's done where at night most guys tend to just point and shoot at the white spot or the black spot yep <laughs> yep you're right so either you know they and most of the time they're aiming in the middle and uh and they they forget to actually pick out a spot yep so it it's really, easy to do. Yeah. I, I fully, I, I definitely understand how people do that. I, I'm sure I've done it too. Yeah. Where if you, if you're shooting a, a bigger gun, you know, I mean, when guys ask me, I recommend a 243 to most guys Yep. and a 243, you don't really have to worry about load development because you can buy shells anywhere. Um, the, you know, they're super popular. The six creed, um, 
you know, that's actually gained a lot of traction. And, and right now yeah, it has, you can almost buy six Creed ammo easier than you can 243 ammo. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. And the, the other nice thing about the 243 is, is, I mean, you talked about load development. I mean, that's one of the most forgiving calibers, you know, out there for someone, especially who isn't, you know, too up on reloading, but usually you're going <laughs> to get a, any, you know, popular powder and bullet, and it's probably going to shoot pretty good out of a 243. Yep. Yep. And you know, you don't have to worry too much about twist rates, you know, I mean, you're either going to buy a one and nine or a one and 10 and, and then it's going to, you know, shoot pretty broad range. So, I mean, if, if they're looking for one gun to, to kind of do everything, I mean, nowadays the, the fur price is in the gutter. So, you know, guys aren't worried so much about fur, um, or fur friendly, I should say. So the 243 is definitely, um, you know, the place to look or six Creed, like I said, and then, you know, there's definitely better calibers out there for, for predator hunting, but then you get into wildcat rounds and, you know, unless you're a reloader and, and really into that kind of thing, it, it doesn't really pay to, you know, if you, you go buy a 22 Creedmoor barrel and slap it on your gun, then you have to look for somebody that's going to load for you. Yep. And, uh, you know, there just aren't many people out there that really want to load for other people. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And, uh, the 22 Creedmoor is a pretty, uh, high pressure and quick round. Uh, so it's not like, I don't, I don't think anybody would just want to start out on that one. No, no. I mean, you got, you know, six or the 22 Creed six dash or 22 dash or, uh, six BR you got, you know, 243 actually improved, you know, there's all yep. kinds of, of, wildcat rounds out there that are that are great but most of them are barrel burners and you know not that i mean the average guy would probably never burn a barrel up in his life (laughs) i I agree you know it's it's usually an every other year ordeal for for me i usually go through a barrel every other year so right but but i mean you're shooting you know, you're what, 1,500 to 2,000 rounds a year? Uh, probably not. I would say, you know, somewhere in that 800 to 1,000 rounds. I don't do a whole lot of target shooting. Um, and, I mean, I, I'm i like everyone else. I mess a few coyotes here and there. and But uh, for the most part, everything I shoot at is, you know, got fur on it. But the uh, – the occasional milk jug or I, I got some steel targets I'll set out just to check zeros and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if I clean a gun or if I'm going on a tournament, it, it always gets checked before I go. And then when I get there, yep. Do you still do any daylight hunting or is it just pretty much all thermal now? Um, well, I do a lot of daylight hunting when I go out West, I shouldn't say a lot, but I do, some daylight hunting when I go West. Um, and then I hunt, you know, a few daylight only tournaments here and there, but most of those are, you know, West of the Mississippi. Yeah. As far as, you know, around here, I do very little daylight hunting. Um, 
I used to do quite a bit. You know, the difference is your call-in rate is going to be probably one in every 10 stands or something, you know. And uh, those nine stands you didn't call something in, you know, there's still coyotes there that heard you. And you're kind of burning those ears for, you know, going out at night and and calling them in. So I, I just don't spend the time to to do it. I mean, if if you're gonna daylight call in this country, you, you want to find some secluded fields that you know are kind of off the road and and out of, off the beaten path. You can get in and and uh, and get the wind right. And, and I, I recommend locating. You know, you want to want to locate them and figure out where they're at and kind of get a good, good idea before you go in, you know, helps you set up. Yeah, I I agree. What's funny is that around my area, what I've noticed is that, you know, five, six years ago, there was a big influx of people getting into it. And then slowly and slowly over the last three years, everybody just shifted to thermal. And now I'm running into where I'm one of the very few people that even, calls in the daylight not I, I shouldn't say daylight i mean last hour first hour and i've i've had more success in the last year you know than i ever have at, at that, that those times just because i think there's just not anybody else that's doing it yeah for sure and you know it's well into the another thing is you've done it longer you're, yeah, you're absolutely you know you kind of got a little more idea about what what's going on and how you need to set up and and you've probably hunted those spots before so you kind of know where the coyotes are going to be or where you you know they normally stay so i mean all of that helps and absolutely uh, you know it's i think the biggest problem with people getting into coyote hunting right now is they want to take the shortcut and not really learn about the coyote itself or bobcat or fox or whatever they're hunting you know you kind of got to know what what stage they're in and and you know what what they got going on before you can go out and and call them in i mean not every coyote's going to come running into the rabbit every time or you know you can't howl and here it comes running you know yeah i completely agree with you everybody just wants to know what sound is working and then that's the one they're going to go out there and blast and if it doesn't work then on to the next yeah and it changes you know week to week month to month i mean it it uh it's constantly changing as to what's you know gonna work and you know i hunt a, a big area so i mean i might go to some of my you know northern dirt here and and be hunting and it's kind of dead so i'll pack up and go south and you know the coyotes are on fire using the same sound so yep. you, you just never know and it's at different time during the night um you know question i get asked all the time is is what time of day or night is, is the best and and really there is no right answer to that you just got to go hunting and and tonight from nine o'clock to one o'clock they might be on fire tomorrow night they might not do nothing till after one o'clock yep yeah that's crazy to me how sometimes you you know you go you go out calling you're pounding stands you're pounding stands nothing and then all of a sudden you know it's just like a light switch and then you all of a sudden you know kill 
four and four stands. Yep. Yep. And you know, what really, you know, makes a hunter is when, when it's dead, if you can make something happen, you know, and, and usually that requires you to get in closer, um, you know, think outside the box a little bit, change up some sounds, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can make something happen. But I mean, I, I have very, very few nights. I think last year I had two nights that I went out and, and hunted that I didn't kill anything. Um, and those were, you know, I probably only made three or four stands cause I could see that it wasn't going to be the night to be out burning ears, you know? Right. So when you go to a stand, you walk in, put your call out, what's, what's typically, what's the first thing that you're going to turn on? Uh, really, it just depends on the time of year. Um, you know, if I'm in, you know, say late September, early October, I'm going to start pretty much every stand with like a mouse vole, um, flying squirrel, some type of squeaking, you know, sound for two to three minutes, uh, maybe not even that long, you know, because y- your pups are young. Um, they're still pretty timid. They've, you know, mama's left, she's gone. So they're kind of on their own. And, uh, and if you want to call those, those young coyotes in, you kind of got to be a little less aggressive, you know? So I usually start out that time of year with, you know, some type of squeak and then go into a couple minutes of prey distress. And then I'll, I'll do some you know, young coyote howls and, and usually after that, I'll do a young coyote serenade and then, and then I'll kind of ramp it up, you know, if nothing shows up after that, then I'll go into some more aggressive sounds and then into some fight sounds and, and pup distress. Cause you know, in my way of thinking is if, if none of the pups showed up, then I'm in the area where, you know, mama moved to and, and, uh, now I'm trying to call her the male in, you know, for sure. Um, All right. So, and then as you move, as we move to breeding season here, what, how do how do your tactics change? <clears throat> so then I usually go more vocal. Um, I'll do less distress, go more vocal. So, Come about mid-November around here, our coyotes all pair up. I mean, they're all paired up by middle of November, 1st of December. Yep. And uh, so then you can start out with a vocal. And, and generally, I'll start out with a, a male howl and answer with a female howl. And then uh, I'll wait. And if nothing shows up right away, then I'll I'll go into some prey distress and, uh, you know, basically just making it sound like you're a male and a female that have, you know, kind of moved into the country and now you're looking for some food, you know? Right. Yep. That's almost so exactly then, how I kind of go about it too. But I oftentimes go into the pup distress first, um, just because my experience around here, maybe again, maybe I'm dealing with just 
some more pressure, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe, it, maybe it would work too. I've had it, I've had all of it work, you know, but I just have run into, I lean way more on vocals just because I think there's so many people just out there blasting rabbit that, you know, being different is, is what's helped me have more success. Yep. Yep. For sure. I mean, I would say, you know, two, three years ago, I ran pretty much all vocals and, uh, you know, all throughout the year. And then, then it got to where, you know, being on MFK and, and everybody watching the, you know, the videos of Tori and everybody shooting, you know, coyotes off of strictly vocals and everybody kind of switched to vocals and yeah, then it, you know, sure. you know, you could, you could get into the prey distress a little more, but <laughs> then you get into, you know, this time of year, um, the coyotes are just really aggressive. So your vocals are going to be way more, you know, they're going to utilize those more than they are, you know, prey distress. And everybody thinks cause it's getting cold that, you know, food's going to be the, the main object and, and it is, but if they're out hunting, a lot of times they don't, you know, they don't pay attention to you if they've heard their, you know, same scenario 10 times and they yeah. hear the rabbit playing, they're just going to go on about their business where, you know, if they're aggressive and, and hear a howl, you know, here they come, but it, that it works the same way with that too. I mean, you got to constantly change it up. I mean, <clears throat> I think a lot of guys over hunt their ground is the biggest issue. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And, and then, you know, if you got competition in the area, you know, not only are you hunting, but they're hunting next door or, you know, down the road a quarter of a mile. So that coyote's hearing them too. So yep. you kind of got to, you know, play the middle ground and kind of figure out a, a pattern if you can. For um, sure. So that, that brings a good question. How often do you hunt your spots throughout the year? I generally hunt spots three times a year um if if i go in in the fall and and there's a lot of pups um and you know i go in and kill two or three of them and and there was a you know five to eight tens the most i've seen um i, I did find a, a group of pups i don't know probably six years ago that were little bitty guys um and she had 13 but if I go in in the fall and kill a couple of those pups, I may swing back through in three or four days and come at a different angle at them and call them in again, kill, you know, another two or three of them. Um, but otherwise it's pretty much three times a year on, yep. on most all of my ground. Yep. I'm, I'm with you on three times a year too. So, okay. So, breeding season um that's kind of your route and do you do you sit any longer breeding season or are you still running that you know eight to 15 20 minute stand yeah still still about well 15 to 20 minutes on the you know breeding season i i mean like i said if i get one that answers me and and i think i can work it in i'll i'll stay a little longer and and you know i have spent 45 minutes on stand but on on an average about you know 15 to 20 minutes and yep and you get into around christmas time <clears throat> here in you know southwestern wisconsin 
the past three years, our coyotes have bred the week of Christmas. And huh. uh, um, usually you'll see some spillover, you know, in the second week of first, second week of January, but usually all of them are bred by, you know, mid-January. Now you go north, you know, it's obviously going to change a little bit. You go south into Illinois, it's going to change. Right. But it, huh. uh, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, and and it it changes from year to year. So, I mean, this year it might be a little later, but the past three years it's been the week of Christmas. Gotcha. And yeah, that obviously they're, they're just like a dog, so they're in for seven days, breed for seven days, and go out for seven days. So the the week that they're actually breeding or locked up, you know, it's really hard to do anything with them. I mean, you got to get super aggressive, super tight to them. Yep. and really pressure them yep just oh. like a lockdown buck in the in the rut <clears throat> yep huh yep. that's interesting yeah I, no, I learned something today yeah yeah i mean it's uh you know everybody says breeding seasons from you know january to march well our coyotes yep. have pups usually first second week of march so yep. it uh breeding season's well over with now that's not to say it's like deer you know there's some deer that you know i mean the first week of november here pretty much everything's getting bred yep now that's not to say you know first week of december there ain't a doe come in heat and get bred you know absolutely it's it's same with the coyotes but for the most part um you know that week uh Week of Christmas, the week after Christmas is, has been pretty much it for the breeding around here for for several years anyway. Huh. Well, that's good to know. Um, so, yeah, that's obviously going to be a hard time. Just like, you know, like I said, just like a rutted up buck and a, and a lockdown with a hot doe. You know, the only way you're getting them is getting in that bubble. Um, yeah. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and usually those coyotes, when they're, you know, breeding, they'll push them them females out into a field, and they usually, they're in some pretty well, you know, open spot. They're, you know, just like the deer. They don't want to chase them around in the woods. So yep. usually if you can get in there and and get pretty tight to them, and generally if if I know they're they're out there breeding or if I'm walking out in the field and I can hear them chirping or, you know, growling or he's chasing her around. I'll get in there and do an older male howl, and uh, and generally you can get that male to break. But uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. Sometimes they head the other way. You know, he he don't. He's already got his woman, so he yep. ain't worried about what you're doing. He just wants to get away. You know, for sure. Uh, it's funny. The other thing that you mentioned uh, was that most of the coyotes are paired up you know, you said, I think you said by first of November. It's usually mid November, um, to towards the end of December, they yeah. all start pairing up pretty hardcore. That's funny because, you know, I, all the, you know, the good old boys that I talk to, you know, it's always every year, like clockwork, you know, end of, end of January, February, they'll say, Oh, yep, they're paired up now. You know, they're paired up, they're paired up. And I'm thinking, you know, and I've been calling pairs this whole year. I don't know, you know where you guys think they just all of a sudden paired up, you know, just today. Yeah. 
well, they're right. They're paired up, but they've been that way for a long yeah, time. <laughs> exactly. Yep. You know, and, and that male will stay with her, you know, generally, uh, you know, whichever male that she ends up breeding with is, is generally the male she'll stick with until yep, she has true. her pups. Yep, and to then, my knowledge, yeah, that's true too. Yep. Yeah, and then once, you know, around here, once they have their pups, um, once the corn gets up, like I said, about knee high, um, you know, to chest high, they move them pups out into them cornfields. By then they're, you know, big enough. They're starting to catch grasshoppers and bugs and whatnot. And and they spend most of the summer out in the cornfields. Yep. For sure. They don't do much around the den. Um, you know, the denning season, you know, I hear a lot of guys talk about, oh, they found a den, this, that, and the other. Well, Usually, unless it's March, April, or June, um, and and first part of June, uh, you know that den don't mean a whole lot, really. Um, yep. They'll come That's back good. through by it, but for the most part, they're out and about. Yep. Um. So you mentioned that you kind of hunted all over the place. Um. Do you have a favorite place to hunt? Um. Obviously. You- Maybe maybe it's Montana. Um, where where are some other places you've gone? Some places that you really like to go? Uh, can you kind of touch on that? Man, it's uh, that's a hard one. Um, you know, I've hunted literally all over. Uh, there's very few states that I haven't hunted. Um, Montana is good. You know, good, very good state. The population's really really high there um it it's all about what kind of ground you can get on you know yep. um texas is probably the funnest state to hunt um it's almost impossible to get on ground down there you're either you know you got to go on a guided hunt or you got to know somebody or have an inn on a ranch you know because yep. most of it's either leased or um there's there's no public land down there hardly any whatsoever um so but texas is 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 kind of funny because you'll hunt one part of texas and it'll be all fox um you'll go to another part of texas it'll be all coyotes and then you'll go to a part that's all cat you know and i shouldn't say all cat but you know and then uh then you'll get to some places where it's kind of mixed up where they got a little bit of everything, but you know, it's, it's definitely a target rich environment. I mean, you got hogs, bobcat, you know, gray Fox, swift Fox. Um, and then you got, you know, bobcats, I might've already said that, but it's, uh, it's definitely a target rich environment and, you know, anybody that's into predator hunting, um, you should definitely make a trip to Texas, even if it's, even if it's with a guide, you know, right. um, the, uh, it, if, if they pick the right guide, it'll definitely be worth their money. Right. Then any, any know, other favorites that come to mind? I, I like Kansas, Nebraska, um, you know, Nevada's really fun. Uh, even, you know, I've hunted Oregon, California, um, you know, Utah, Idaho. I mean, they're all nice. I mean, the, the biggest thing about traveling to hunt is, is 
don't make it all about the killing. You know, it's go see some places you hadn't ever seen. And if you kill a few coyotes or fox or bobcat, you know, that's just a bonus. But um, if you're if you're going just to stack up numbers, that can be done in pretty much any state. You just have to do your homework. And yep. uh, it's getting harder and harder because there's more and more people doing it. So virgin dirt is really hard to find. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even, you know, it used to be the old ranch hand, you know, out there, he'd shoot at a coyote if he seen it, but they didn't really, you know, go after him. Now, you know, the, even them are, they're starting to buy thermal and, and do a little calling here and there. And, and they don't put enough time into it to be great at it, but, you know, they still kill quite a few and, and, uh, it just makes it a little harder if you're you're trying to stack up a truck bed full. Absolutely. But I would say, you know, top three for me would be um, Texas, Kansas, and, you know, Montana would be the top three for me. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, I would encourage everyone to go at some point if you love to coyote hunt, just, you know, pick a place and just – go and make the best of it. You know, it's, you might stumble into a gold mine. You might struggle, but, um, like you said, don't make it all about the kill and enjoy some time away. And, uh, I think yep. it's, it's a, it's a fun trip for anybody that I think that would love that loves the coyote hunt. I would encourage everybody to get out and try it. And, and I oh. think it also makes you a better hunter. I mean, just thinking on the fly and adjusting and learning and it's all new. And I think it just, it's just one more tool to add to your bag to apply something back home. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, I hear all the time, you know, that, you know, Western coyotes are way easier than, than Eastern coyotes. And, and that's not the case. I mean, you know, a lot of guys say a coyote's a coyote's a coyote, no matter where it's at. And and really there's some truth to that. The, The difference is the people population. I mean, you get out West and there's one house over 20 miles, you know, versus here there's you know 10 houses every square mile it's it's a big difference it just changes the way the coyotes react i mean out west those coyotes are a little more nomadic i mean they may only travel a you know a a mile square or five mile square depending on food you know but they just kind of lay down wherever i mean they don't really have a you know a ridge or a patch of woods that they live in you know they just kind of go wherever they want to go and wherever they're at at the end of the night that's where they lay down i mean now granted i mean they might go back to a certain coolie or whatever but it's uh it's definitely a, a different challenge you know i mean you got to be able to you know daytime hunting you got to hide the truck and and get in without them seeing you because there is no cover you know yep so uh, here at least you know if you can sneak around and you know pop over the hill and sit down you know you got an advantage because you got trees to to walk through to kind of you know hide your entrance but yeah. you know out there you don't you you got to to be yeah. a little more strategic and uh you know you get set up on a hill and call i mean 
the coyote can hear you for a mile and, and those coyotes have no obstacles between you and them. So, so they will come from, yep. you know, a mile away where we're here, you know, they got to cross, you know, in the Southwestern part where we're at, they got to cross, you know, three ridges and two branches and three yep. woven wire fences and, you know, crawl under a hot wire to get to you. They just ain't going to do it. And a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, it's, That's uh, the, it's, that was the one thing when I, the first time I went to Kansas, it was the noon whistles going off and I'm playing pup distress and I caught something. I pulled my binoculars up and there's two coyotes coming from, it had to have been a mile just as fast as they could run. And I yep. thought, Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. And then I was hooked on going out there ever since. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you can get in and you know, Kansas, Nebraska, um, you know, they got a lot of walk-in ground and yeah, the Dakotas and, too, I think. Yep. Yeah. Dakotas, uh, you know, they got a few stipulations and, and caliber restrictions and, yeah. and all of that. I mean, anywhere you go, you really have to, to dig into, you know, the rule book, see where you can play and where you can't, but, uh, it's, it's definitely worth going out there. That's for sure. Absolutely. All right. As we kind of wrap things up here, um, I want to, I want to ask you one more question. I'll ask you the question and then I'll answer it and maybe we'll have the same answer, but I hope not. Um, if you got to give, it doesn't have to be one, but if you got to give advice to someone that's new and starting coyote hunting, what, what's your first or what, what direction are you going to point them you know, to try to kick them off the right way. Well, the first thing I, you know, tell guys when they call me about an educational hunt is, is do a little research. I mean, there's all kinds of YouTube. I mean, there's a lot of information out there nowadays that wasn't, you know, whether it be, you know, podcast, YouTube channels, um, documentaries, you know, watch, and, and kind of learn how a coyote moves, reacts. And then the next step is, is getting ground, you know, and, uh, that's probably one of the biggest things is, is getting properties. And if you're going to do it once or twice a year, you don't need that many. If you're going to try and make a go of it all year, you're going to need a lot. And, uh, you know, you figure one night of hunting, I mean, it, it depends on how many stands you make in a night, but usually, you know, I'm 15 to, you know, 20 stands a night on hunting a full night. So, you know, that's 20 properties that are, you know, three to five miles apart. So, I mean, it takes a lot of ground. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Yeah. And I think my biggest, the biggest thing that I have in my findings, the biggest things that have, change my success is a just the setup the overall setup and the wind and and things like that but once you get the hang of that the biggest thing for me has been just hitting them you know just being confident and and knowing when to shoot and 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 hitting them you know i think the biggest one of the biggest downfalls is most people don't shoot their gun they don't you know they're not sighted in they're you know they know where their gun shoots at 100 yards but you know if you really want to put a lot of coyotes down. I think being able to kill them is just, you know, plain and simple. You got to be able to hit them if you want to kill them. 
Yeah, and and most of that comes with time. I mean, usually when guys start out, you'd think a 250-inch buck just come running down through the field, you know. And I I get excited, too. I mean, if I didn't, I wouldn't do it. But um, most guys, their first few times out can't really control that. and They're not going to hit. You just can't let it get you down, you know. And uh, it's – it's one of them deals where, you know, call sequences, the wind and all of that, it, you, you kind of trial by error, you know, you're going to learn all that stuff as you go. And, and the more mistakes you make, the, the more you're going to learn. So there's really no way to perfect that without getting out there and doing it and, and making mistakes and, and picking yourself back up from them. I mean, that's Absolutely. how we all, we all learn, like I said earlier, everybody wants the fast track, everything, but you know, there's no, no better way to learn than just to get out and hunt. Yep. I agree. Yep. Don't lose. Don't, don't forget about the woodsmanship and the, and the things that are going to put, put coyotes in front of you over and over and over. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, I think we're going to start to wrap it up here and uh, Daniel, where can guys find you? Um, where can they reach out to you if they want to go on a guided hunt? Um, I know a lot of people are going to be listening to this in the Wisconsin area. So maybe some guys want to hook up with you and, and learn a thing or two and learn some of your methods of madness. Yeah. The best thing is just either, you know, look me up on Facebook, you know, Daniel Wright. Otherwise give me a call 608-574-0976. I don't really have a website, so to speak. I had one for a while and then it, it got to where it was just, kind of a, a hassle to keep up with and yep. and paid so so yeah yeah best thing is just give me a call or or look me up on facebook send me a message and and uh we'll get rolling i usually stay booked out you know six eight ten months but we'll get you on the books absolutely yeah i would encourage anybody you know if that's something that you want to learn you want to learn from the best you know i don't think there's many people around here that are going to be a better one to learn from than daniel so I hope everybody can take something away from this and uh, add something to your arsenal to put more fur in the truck. But um, I I'll put uh, Daniel's information below and uh, in the, in the notes here, if anybody wants to reach out and uh, hook up with them for a hunt, um, I'm sure he would uh, be great. So I really appreciate him coming on with us tonight and uh, shared a lot of great information and, and taught me a few things too. So hopefully everyone can learn something and apply it to their game. Yeah. Yeah. And if anybody has any questions on, you know, thermal gear or whatnot, um, definitely help anybody get rolling on that too. Calls. Absolutely. And I can, I can send some people your way if they, if they want to get it connected with you, I'll, uh, I'll connect them with you. So. Yeah. Yeah. We got, you know, our, I'm, I'm on staff with a bunch of companies. So if you look me up on Facebook, you know, you'll see all those guys and check them out. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Daniel. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. All right. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to episode three of the Predator podcast. I would like to thank Daniel again for coming on. I will leave his information below in the description, as well as the companies that Daniel works with. Uh, To kill as many critters as he does in a year, you know his gear is top notch. So um, check out those companies below. And thanks 
Thanks for tuning in this week. We'll be back next week with more Predator action. But until then, shoot straight.